0: Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Rob Lindstead concludes his series on the power of the cross. Christmas is almost here. Remember to check out all of the Bible-based and Christ-centered gifts that are available on our website, SWRC.com. With over 1,000 items, you can do your Christmas shopping and at the same time support Watchmen on the Wall. We have gifts from Jerusalem, Christmas-themed movies, and a huge selection of books and DVDs. We also have gift subscriptions available for the Prophecy in the News magazine. SWRC.com Shop for friends and family and support the ministry and outreach of Watchmen on the Wall. SWRC.com Or call 1-800-652-1144 Now, here's Rob Linstead with more details of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ.
1: Two thousand years ago, the cross meant death. During the time of Jesus, the cross was an instrument of execution that resulted in death by the most torturous and painful of ways. In crucifixion, a person was either tied or nailed to a wooden cross and left to hang until dead. Death would be slow and excruciatingly painful. In fact, the word excruciating literally means out of the cross. However, because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, the meaning of the cross today is completely different. Joining me again on the Watchman on the Wall to discuss the importance of the cross is Dr. Robert Linstead. Dr. Linstead is the executive director of Sunrise Christian Academy in Wichita, Kansas, He is a well-known Bible scholar, prophecy expert, and author, and today we're going to continue to talk about his book, The Power of the Cross. Dr. Linstead, welcome back. Thanks for joining me again today.
2: My pleasure, James, to be with you guys.
1: Dr. Linstead, we spoke last time about the seven sayings from the cross and their significance. The fourth saying of the Lord Jesus Christ from the cross is, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Dr. Lin said, wasn't that one of the most important moments in all of history?
2: It sure was. To be honest, we could probably spend the whole program just on this one, but think about the fact that when this is documented in the Scriptures, it says the sixth hour. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, the Jewish day starts at 6 a.m., and so that would mean noon. right? And so it says there's darkness for the next three hours. And what's incredible, the brightest time of the day became dark as night, Mm -hmm. I think it was God calling attention to the fact that there was a sin-bearer. I've had people say, well, you know, the planets lined up a certain way or it was an eclipse. No, no, no. Nothing lined up other than the Scripture. It wasn't an eclipse because an eclipse is not total dark. But I like what it says in Matthew and then in Luke it says, again, there was darkness over all the earth. James, I think... That darkness is so incredible. Here's why I say that. I don't think there was a darkness like that from Genesis chapter 1 when God moved in the darkness and divided the day and the night. I don't know if you've ever been in total darkness. I've been in a cave and, and the lights go out and you don't have a flashlight and you feel ridiculous because it's so dark it's almost frightening. I think this darkness was that kind of darkness. Yes. Yes the brightest time, now it's the darkest moment. Why? Because you see, God, a holy God, was dealing with my sin. That's how horrible my sin was. He's a God of glory. He's a God of light. And in that total darkness, that's when he would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus only referred to his Father one time as God. and That one time is here, on the cross, at this same. And I think it's because This inseparable unity that God the Father and God the Son had from the beginning of ever, from eternity past, was broken for the first time because my sin was that horrible to a holy God. And so the darkness, total darkness, incredible darkness, He dealt with my sin. So you take darkness before we have the creation story in Genesis 1, there's this horrible darkness God moves, God creates, God makes it light and life. You come to the cross, a scary darkness. You know what? This darkness is so incredible that when the veil rent, when the rocks split, when people saw and felt this darkness, they said, this was a righteous man. And then, James, I can't have a go forward a little bit because, you see, there's another time that the scripture records there's going to be a horrible darkness. Mm-hmm the horrible darkness is really going to be when Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation, and we call the revelation of Jesus Christ. Matthew, again, chapter 25, it talks about the fact that at the end of the tribulation, when Christ comes back, he comes back with power and might and glory. And how it describes it is just amazing, because it says this, Matthew 24, says this, The sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give its light. The stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man. And he comes back with clouds, power, and great glory. So it's like God saying, okay, the last time his sign was on the cross, there was darkness and death. And the next time the world's going to see him, he's going to come back. And that darkness, can you imagine him coming in that total dark environment? Hmm. He comes and he's a bright light of the glory of God. He comes and says, oh, the brightness of his coming, he actually destroys the Antichrist. And so to me, this saying of Christ right in the middle of these seven sayings is so important because this is the very moment when he is dealing with my sin. And there on the cross, he would make it possible for me to have eternal life through his
1: death. Praise God. The fifth saying from the cross is found in John 19, verse 28. There the Lord Jesus Christ said, I thirst. And you said about that last time, this is the very one who can send a flood or cause a drought, the one who made every brook and river, yet he cries, I thirst. And that was very profound. Would you elaborate a little more on that verse?
2: What is interesting to me is that in Psalm 69, verse 21, the Bible predicted that he would come and he would satisfy this, he would fulfill it, in a wonderful way. But the thing that I like is he would go to those, like the woman at the well, we mentioned her before, and there he would satisfy her. He would promise her living water, not just water, but living water. In John 7, what he does is so incredible, because he stood and he cried, said, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You know, that was the last day. It was the great day of the feast that the Jews celebrated every year. And Christ was there. What he said, he openly proclaimed that he was the Messiah. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm the one that could give you bread in the wilderness. I'm the one who gives you water to drink in the wilderness. Now I'm here. I'm going to give you water to drink again if you thirst. Come to me. Isaiah 55, it talked about, you know, oh, everyone that thirsts. You know what I see today, James? I see thousands of people thirsting yes. because they've got all the water of the world, the pleasure of the world, the luxuries of the world, the money of the world, all those things they can't satisfy. Here's a woman in John 4 came to Jesus, and she must have been a woman of pleasure because she, she had a riotous life. But none of it satisfied. Right. And that's what I'm seeing as I look around. I see people who. Are successful by their education. They're successful by their business. They're successful by their houses and their cars and boats. You know what? That's okay. God's not jealous of those things. God created the material that made those things. But have you ever seen the fact that there's a spiritual thirst that every person has? And this woman at the well, she admitted it. I think she admitted it because no one was around to hear that with all she'd done, she was still thirsty. And at the university, I would meet people, and they were so successful, they were so bright, they did incredible research projects. Wow, I meet athletes, and they're so gifted. They can jump, and they can dunk, and they can dribble, and they can, they can run fast, and all these things, but the trouble is, when the day is over, do they have an urge for something that's greater than that? And the answer is yes. And what it is, they need spiritual water, water that can satisfy for eternity, the world is built on substitutions. See, the devil, he wants to give you some little perks along the way. He wants to give you some, some little drinks of water of pleasure. Nothing wrong with drinking water. But if you don't have the spiritual living water, then all you have is something for this life and not for eternity. The
1: sixth saying of Christ from the cross is, It is finished. Tell us about that
2: statement. This is one of my favorite ones because in the original language the phrase it is finished it's just one word. One word. It's almost the idea that an athlete would have when he crosses the finish line. When he crosses that line he yells victory. I think many victims on the cross probably said things. Most of the time they were cursing. Who can imagine a person on the cross saying, I win? But Jesus did. Why? Because it was a victory. It was a complete victory. See, he didn't say, I'm finished. If he would have said, I'm finished, people would have understood. He's talking about physical sufferings. He's talking about his physical life. But what he talked about, he said, it is finished. What what, what was finished? What was finished was the work that he came to do. And the work that he came to do was to save me. I'm saved today not because I do something good, not because I've done something good, not because someday I might do something good, I'm saying because Jesus on the cross did something not just good, but complete. He finished it. It's victory. It's total victory. I'm not trying to earn part of my salvation. Jesus paid it all. It's finished. It would be like going to a master picture that a well-known artist did. i say, you know, I think I'll just add a, a little tree here in the background of this picture. <laughs> and you'd say, no, don't, don't do don't that. Don't do that, no. Yeah, you'd say, you're going to ruin it. See, I can't add to what Jesus has done. He said, it is finished. There, his sufferings were done. The judgment for sin was done. There's no more sacrifices of animal needed. Everything for our salvation was completed there, and so I can be righteous in Christ when I accept, when I go to God the Father and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell, but I also admit that Jesus died for me, and he didn't have to die. He had no sin, but he died for my sins. He became my substitute. And there I say, I accept the finished work of Jesus Christ as the total victory for my sin. Hmm. That's why I love that saying. It's finished.
1: The seventh and final saying from the cross is when Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit.
2: First of all, it's interesting that there would be seven sayings, because... I think the fact that seven is such a number of completions. Right. The thing that I love about it is that he gave up because No one took it from him. He gave it up. And when he was down the centurion, he makes that observation. Truly, this was a a righteous man. But to me, what I like is it showed that that all the time he was working in complete cooperation with God the Father. Everything he did before the cross, everything he did as he spoke to people, he'd say, I and the Father are one the great priestly prayer in John 17, he shows the unity between him and God the Father. And so now, on the cross, when all this is done, you know what it says? It says this, I commit myself <laughs> to God. He finished the work, he committed himself to God, and he met with God's approval, and here's why I know that. You wouldn't commit to God something that wasn't godly. And Christ knew that on the cross, when he presented himself... In the finished work of the cross, he completed the work, then he presented it to the Father, and he knew that the Father would approve of it, and the proof of his resurrection. If God did not approve of the death of Christ, then God would have never raised him from the dead. God had a part in the resurrection, Jesus had a part in the resurrection, and the Spirit of God had a part in the resurrection. The whole Trinity agreed in unison that this work done on the cross by Jesus was perfect, complete, and enough to save a sinner like me.
1: When the Lord Jesus Christ died, He was taken from the cross and buried in a tomb belonging to Joseph of Arimathea. And you write in the book, The Power of the Cross, He was beaten, He was disfigured, He was nailed to a cross, He was gored with a spear, and He was dead. It looked like it was the end of Christianity. Thank God, it was only the beginning. Dr. Lynn said, tell us about the significance of the resurrection.
2: Well, I think without the resurrection, we don't have salvation. Mm-hmm. Because resurrection was the great stamp of approval. We find it, in I'm going to say, in several ways. One is, remember, Jesus, when he walked with his disciples, he said to them, in so many days, I'm going to be in Jerusalem. And the Son of Man is going to be given to the priests and to the religious people. And they're going to mock him and scourge him and kill him. And he will, like again, I look at the story that he taught concerning Jonah. And he said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, the Son of Man will come forth alive again. And then we go to First Corinthians, and we see that, again, he states, here's the definition of the gospel, that he died according to the scripture, he was buried according to the scripture, and he rose again according to the scripture, everything, every minute detail, was in the aspect of fulfilling every detail of God's plan for my salvation. And so he introduces himself in Revelation chapter 1 to John. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the one that was dead, and now I'm alive. And he has the power of life and death. You see, the devil doesn't have that power. Jesus has the power of resurrection. Jesus has the power of life. This is the great triumph over the devil, because the devil doesn't have that power. The devil and the antichrist are going to fake it. In the middle of tradition, they're going to try to give life to the image of the beast. They're going to fake it. They're going to fake death and try to fake resurrection. Huh. Jesus didn't fake it. The enemies of Jesus could not deny that what was done was an incredible, mighty miracle that only God can do. No world religion can touch your resurrection.
1: Well, Dr. Linstead, you've been doing a tremendous job over the last couple of programs sharing the gospel, and there may be someone listening today who is not a believer in Jesus Christ. Would you tell that person how they can receive Christ?
2: James, what a pleasure that would be, because I think, first of all, is to acknowledge I'm not up to God's standard. The Bible says all have sinned, and and I know that I'm a sinner. I know my thoughts, I know my deeds, I know my motives. I'm a sinner. I'm short of the standard of a holy God. And if God allowed me to go to heaven without sins forgiven and blotted out, I would ruin heaven. I would bring disease to heaven. I bring death to heaven. I bring all the curses that we have on the earth. And so I think the first thing is acknowledge I'm a sinner. I'm short of the holy standard of God. Number two I think it's to acknowledge that Jesus Christ on the cross paid a debt that I could never pay. The only way I can be righteous is for Him to be my substitute. Sometimes we don't like a substitute to come in when we're playing baseball. Maybe we don't like a substitute to come in when we're going to do something special. But let me tell you that when the sin test comes and God looks at whether I'm a sinner or not, you know what? I'm glad to have a substitute. I'm going to call in Jesus. I'm going to admit that what Jesus did on the cross... Is something I couldn't do for myself. My righteousness is in Christ. And I think the final thing is to say, Lord Jesus, I take you as payment for my sin. I accept the finished work on the cross as the work that satisfied a holy God and could save a sinful man. Lord Jesus, I take you as my Savior and my substitute. And pray that in Jesus' name. And I think that's when a person passes from death into life.
0: Rob Linstead's book, The Power of the Cross, is available today. In this powerful book, Dr. Linstead pours through the Word of God and teaches the details of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What really happened at the trial of Jesus? Did the crucifixion make Jesus a victim or a victor? Why is the resurrection completely unique to Christianity? Dr. Rob Linstead answers these questions and much more in the book, The Power of the Cross. Order copies for you, your family, your church, and your friends. The Power of the Cross. 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. Our host Dr. Larry Spargiamino and ministry president Dr. Kenneth Hill join us now to discuss this year's Gleanings
3: Initiative. I'm here at the mic with Dr. Kenneth Hill, the president of Southwest Radio Church. Kenneth is a friend of many many years. We were neighbors for many years in East Tennessee Kenneth is my mentor in Christian communications ministry. Thank you, Kenneth, for being with us on the show.
4: Well, thank you, Brother Larry. It's good to be with you.
3: We uh, certainly have many dedicated listeners, and we're probably talking to some right now. And I do want to say to them, thank you for your sacrificial giving to this ministry. We do not depend on the government, thank God. We do not depend on a denomination or any ecclesiastical organization. This is our Gleanings program, and I know Dr. Hill is a good teacher of the Word of God and knows a lot about ministry and how we can help ministry. So Kenneth, tell us a little bit about Gleanings.
4: Back in the Old Testament days, when a stranger would come into the land or when there would be somebody that had fallen on hard times, maybe it was a widow who was left with her husband having passed away, They were given the opportunity to come into the fields after the harvest had been taken, and any of the fruit that was left that had not been taken up yet that was left in the field was theirs if they wanted to collect it. It did not remain the property of the landholder or the farmer. It became the property of whomever wanted it. Now, that was an unusual way of doing business, Hmm. but it was God's way of doing business. He wanted to make sure that those who wanted to work, even if they didn't have a place to work, would have an opportunity to be fed. And so they were given that opportunity through this thing called gleanings.
3: I love gleanings because it reminds us, I think, of how important our ministry is, We began in 1933. Day by day, I think our ministry is just so important, so critical as I look at what's happening. You know, I came here in 1998, and what we're talking about now at the present time, I never thought I would see in my lifetime. So, gleanings are very important to help us, and certainly we don't want to twist arms, but if the Lord has provided something, and the Lord provides you, the listener, With the will, the desire to help us in our work, that's really fine.
4: Indeed it is. And God has a way of making provision when there seems to be no provision made. Yes, Mm. God has given us opportunity to deal with our listeners, to let them know what our needs are, and then God touches their hearts and they give appropriately and it helps us continue doing the work that God has called us to do. When you began ministering after seminary, did you have any idea that you'd be working in a ministry such as SWRC?
3: I never had the idea. In fact, I think of Ephesians 3.20, The Lord is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And my being here at Southwest Radio Church, I think that's the case of it. I never had the faintest idea I'd be doing what I'm doing now. Praise the Lord. I really love it. And it's a real honor.
4: Well, we appreciate your work that you do, Brother Larry, as the spokesperson on the Watchman on the Wall broadcast and as an author You've got a book that is just about ready to hit the streets. Tell me a little bit about that. Just help me understand what the book is about.
3: The title is Calvinism on Trial. This tulip has thorns. I believe that God wants to bring revival to the world. I see a lot of good things happening in Pakistan. We have a church and a school there. I'm involved in Chinese ministry and so forth, and we need to be reaching out we need to have that assurance that God loves all people and that he will bless us as we witness and as we share. Now, we used to sing, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. But you know, Calvinism sees that as bad, unbiblical theology. God doesn't love all the children of the world. He only loves some of the children of the world. And so, There is a resurgence of Calvinistic teaching, and I think that is very sad. We don't need our theology to paralyze us. We need our theology to fire us up. I used to be a Reformed Baptist and then a Reformed Presbyterian. I'm thoroughly schooled in Calvinistic doctrine, but I think there are some things that Calvinists are missing. And quite often, Calvinists come into a church, and they have all these verses, and people say, oh, I never thought of that. And their zeal is crushed. I think that's very sad.
4: Well, I think so, too. How long has it taken you to formulate your understanding and to put it down on paper?
3: I've been thinking about this for about 23 years, because I really felt there's something drastically wrong with Calvinism. It has a God who doesn't love everybody, and he passes by some people, and by his will, some people end up in hell to suffer for all eternity. Now, they have all their answers to John 3.16 and so forth, and so the purpose of this book is to equip church people who feel there's something wrong with Calvinism, but they don't know how to refute the Calvinists. I don't think I'm going to be converting any Calvinists, but that's really not my goal. My goal is to provide people who need some help in dealing with what I believe is a very dangerous theology.
4: Well, we've got that book coming up. We have many other books as well, as I understand it. I think that just about everybody who is mentioned by interviews and by conversations on the Watchman on the Wall broadcast have new books coming out planned for 2023. Yes. Is there anything else that you know of that's in the planning stages that you'd like to mention?
3: Well, we've got some tremendous conferences coming up. I think that's always very important. Last year we had several, and this year we've got several that we're talking about. And I think we get some of our best supporters when we go to these different cities and different churches, and they see what we look like, and they ask questions. They fall in love with us. I've seen that happen many times. A lot of people come, they never even heard of us, but they say, boy, you guys are good. How come we haven't been listening to you? So I think conferences are wonderful.
4: (laughs) Why have you been hidden is the question. Well, we need to remind folks that it's our gleanings time of the year, and we need to hear from them. I'll leave it to you to let them know, Larry.
3: Our toll-free number, 1-800- 652-1144. And like I said, if the Lord moves upon you, and we're not trying to twist anybody's arm, we certainly do have a need, but if the Lord moves you, touches your heart, you say, I want to help those folks, we'd love to hear from you. Well, Kenneth, thank you so much for sharing the microphone with me.
4: Thank
2: you, Brother Larry. God bless you.
0: Today's featured resource is Rob Linstead's excellent book, The Power of the Cross. In this powerful book, Dr. Linstead pours through the Word of God and teaches the details of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Make sure you order copies for your church, your family and friends, and for yourself. The Power of the Cross. Order today by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144 or order online, swrc.com. Tomorrow, we open the radio vault to hear from former host David Weber as he discusses heaven and hell. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com